You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. If it's Moitzai Shabbos Kodesh, this must be I'm here with Rabbi Yisif Gavriel Bechofel. There was a little bit of a worry this week. Uh, for those who never would have to be hospitalized in Manhattan hospitals, the nurses were on strike. I believe it was for two days, two complete days. Maybe it was even part of a third day. Uh, we're talking about 7,000 nurses. Um, and the hospital systems were Mount Sinai, Har Sinai, and another Jewish name, Montefiore, who, of course, named after the great Jewish philanthropist Moshe Montefiore, uh, a number of wonderful institutions, I guess, throughout the world are named after him. But there's three hospitals in the Bronx. Altogether, it was uh, 7,000 nurses who uh, who walked off the job. And although uh, they stated that it was not so much about money, it was about uh, the long hours, it was about not having uh, help in the staffing, uh, the emergency rooms, not having uh, enough people to uh, spell them when they needed it, um, it Clearly, it was about money as well. Uh, and I was thinking about it. Obviously, neither of us live in New York City, but Leo Leinu, if that, if we, one of us would have to be hospitalized or any of the people that we're close to, um, it would not have been a simple situation. Uh, both hospitals, uh, Mount Sinai and Montefiore, uh, shifted a number of their patients to other hospitals. <clears throat> they pushed off. Uh, uh, certain surgeries that they felt uh, possibly could be pushed off. And I guess it it brings to the fore a question uh, that we can maybe expand is nurses are allowed to go on strike. Uh, And it's obviously part of a bigger question of generally going on strike and especially medical professionals. And maybe we can expand it even further. Uh, In 1983, uh, this issue got a lot of halachic pub uh, due to a very um, uh, extensive strike that was occurring in the, all the major hospitals in Eretz Yisrael when the doctors went on strike, even to the point of a hunger strike. And a number of important rulings uh, were issued uh, at that time, Rabbi Yisif, I, I Off pod, I made you aware of them in case you weren't, uh, from Rav Vosner and from Zaman Orbach and uh, Diane Weiss. Uh, so that's ask you a question, of- please, which you might know the answer to, but I want to ask you. Um, so the... Uh- uh, when in England they went on strike, the and there of course is social national na, national medicine, so life preserving treatment has to be provided. All nurses in intensive care and emergency care were expected to work, uh, and, and nurses could be picked off picket lines if there were safety concerns. Was that what was the case here in America? Was yeah, I don't think that thing? was the case here. I think they just basically anybody that um, was part of the union they were striking, and what what, what uh, these systems did was. They uh, tapped into these temp agencies to find nurses that were, they hope, were qualified enough. Um, but I think it really in- included everyone, even in the ICU units. Uh, so that that money that is the problem with not, not having uh, universal health insurance and having nationalized medicine, if that's the case. Because like you see in England, even though they were very disgruntled about low salaries, they want a lot of money. Nevertheless, there was um, legislation in place which require them actually to uh, staff at a minimum basis, minimum basis to hospitals. Um, here, of course, since we live in a capitalist system, in a capitalist system, you know, there's no uh, way to deal with anything other than, for workers other than the strike. 
I don't know what else there is to say. I, it's very easy for me and you to say to somebody, don't buy modern robber barons. Um, how are we supposed to tell people not to strike even after some Yeah, look, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I, I love our conversations, Rebiasev, because they always seem to turn on issues that we've already touched upon in the past. And <clears throat> knowing you so well, I know I, I've heard you um, hold forth on what you think about the healthcare system here and how one of the reasons why you pushed uh, <clears throat> for the election of Biden and other of your friends was because you thought that it would help you in terms of healthcare, that you thought the healthcare system would end up being more positive for people like us of modest means. That sure didn't work out for me. <laughs> right. But the idea, but I, I saw from there that, you know, universal health care was something that was an issue that's close to your heart. Um, you felt actually a state had a chiyuv to provide. I remember people can check on the RISCA website. And yes, there are plenty, yes, there are plenty of places where you can find it. Either you could go to Rabbi Yosef's blog spot, or you can go to, of course, our uh, spot. You can go to the <laughs> the Yeshiva of Newark podcast site. Okay, wait, wait, wait. And you can and you can discover there our conversation about this from Yosef, where you were pushing for the responsibility of every country to provide universal health care, right. that it was responsibility, midaraisa, et cetera. So when you have a uh, a health system that has a certain restriction, so the strikes aren't going to happen. On the other hand, I, I, I reference what I said from 1983, Israel that does have socialized medicine and universal health care, uh, the, the doctors were so frustrated uh, at the lack of pay they were getting and the way the government system was short shrifting them that they got to the point that they were involved in a hunger strike. And the G'dayle Ador Mamish if you read their psalkim, I'm basing myself on Fred Rosner's article in the Journal of Contemporary Alachic Society, uh, but I, his translations of them. But you see that they are very sympathetic to the fact that there was not too much money. What they said was, yes, you're going to work it out, you'll arbitrate, uh, but not to come in and to put people in danger uh, is Leisamoid, it's the Mavatoliase of Rapa Yirape. I was wondering, and this is where I thought maybe you could shed some light before you just got on a soapbox, which is, do you think there might be a difference between doctors and nurses? In other words, the even though generally we know how important nurses are, both of us have had pay, have read relatives and been ourselves hospitalized. We understand how important nurses are. Is it possible to make a chiluk, you think, between a nurse's strike and a doctor's strike? Or it's definitely think- possible. Yes. Uh, the question is, about, question is what degree of, uh, of rapi rapi each one provides. But yes, it can make a difference. I'm, sure. right, so again, yeah. it, I mean, if you take Roshulim Zalman's psak, psak and, and, and Ravosner's, that it's leisamli, and that you have to provide things. And we pass them like the Rambam, that it's a, it's a mitzvah, it's not just the Rishus. Uh, to so therefore, um, it's it's hard to know. Uh, it's hard to know because many times the comfort and what nurses provide is so, it's intangible, but it's essential. Intangible mm-hmm. in terms of making the patient feel comfortable, uh, making sure that the records are read, coming in to uh, take the uh, the proper vital, the vital signs. Uh, yeah, they're not opening up the person and they're not the ones doing the brain surgery or the open heart surgery or whatever needs to be done. But I think 
it, 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 I'm not sure if it can be machalik. I'm not sure what the, the what prat you could say. Um, and I, I, could you imagine? Well, you, I, I have to be this. I actually have to distinguish between skilled nursing care and non-skilled nursing care. In other words, I don't know which nurses went. Just the RNs went on strike. The LPNs went on strike. You know, the orderlies, they're very different. They're much Vegas. Uh, right. So, so again, this is interesting. I mean, the woman who cleans out, the woman who cleans the bedpans, I, you know, I don't think she, her job is very important, but I don't think it falls in. I'm not sure if she's called a nurse. Pay. I'm not sure if she's called a nurse. I think you have to reach a certain level of education to be part of that union. So, yeah, you're right. The Janet, but, you know, we might, my Svara might apply you know, especially people who've just done the Dafyomi that have talked about Irvuvia and they've talked about how in, in, the, in the last parak in Nadarim, how it speaks about how essential hygiene is uh, to uh, mental and physical well, health. Well, I think, I think you should explain that about how Kvisa, the one city could be credited into the Chaim. Right, the right. Again, you have the incredible... Not all of our listeners know Dafyomi as well as you Okay, nobody can compare to you though. I mean, you, 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 you. you I got finish, you first. You finished Masechtas in your. Never seat. mind. I got okay. you first there. All right. Okay. It's a, yes. it's a, it's, okay. It's a lame comeback. Just go ahead. It's tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, lame is it's too capast. <laughs> We're talking about people who are never in sad <laughs> shape. But yes, I'll I'll be lame now. Yes. So the Gemara does mention, of course, the incredible opinion of Rabbi Yosi <laughs> that shocked uh, his Talmidim. Uh, where he poskined that um, if there's a city in which there's, let's say, a, um, a, a Mayan, a spring that erupts in that city, and therefore the people who are in that town have first access to the fresh water if, of that Mayan, even though there's a city down the mountainside that is also desperate enough that they need uh, the, the water there to drink, they can hoard the water. The city up on the mountain can hoard the water for the sake of washing their clothes, Rabbi Yaisi says. Mm-hmm. For, for kibus, kibus kodem l'chius. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it, the Gemara actually says in, that, that there was a, um, that there was Isi ben Yehuda, who comes up very interestingly in Shas all the time, he refused to come to the yeshiva because he was shocked by what Rabbi Yossi says. I, th- I thought that was also Peladic. He says, his, he, he, he says, I'm not coming. He said something that was so out of it. I, I can't even come to the yeshiva because I can't understand what he's saying. Uh, so uh, y- y- Rabbi Yossi's son tried to explain it to him, but it was such a shocking statement. But he, whether we pass kind of like Rabbi Yossi or not, um, the fact is, the Gemara goes into uh, in the Dafyaimi into the significance of what uh, hygiene and health is. And yes, if a person has uh, doesn't take care of uh, of the clothing that he's wearing, uh, it could lead to shemum, which, as the Ron explains, is a mental deficiency that can't be cured. Baruch Hashem, we don't have that problem. I think. Uh, uh, among us, Rabbi Yosef, but we could imagine how terrible that would be if we would have to be Mishu Umam. That would be something. The point I think I'm trying to make is, is that one could say, "Hey, okay, you're going to tell me that the the nurses and the and the qualified people they can't go on strike, but the 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 janitorial staff can." the whole everything about the the hospital, the antiseptic nature of the hospital is crucial to the health of the patient. So where do you draw the line? Let's now also about our issue because the, the you know, hygiene in a hospital is just as important, especially in the our era of 
uh, hospital-acquired infections, which are a tremendous issue. Yes. Uh, my, my mother, Shalom, almost died earlier in her life from a hospital-induced infection. So uh, the cleanliness in the hospital is perhaps even more significant than some of the treatment. Right. So, yeah, so it, it, it is hard to know. On the other hand, as you see from those psalkim that were issued 40 years ago, you can see the the the, the pain that the Rabbanim had because they realized that you can't, you need to, you need to provide a living wage for these essential workers. Um, and, and, and clearly that's not happening. And the problem fact is, that, the problem is, if you go back to Gemara, there's no concept of a hospital. So, it really is hard to extrapolate from hierarchic sources to a concept of a hospital because uh, that's a manifestation of modern medicine, uh, relative modern medicine, which was not part of the equation back then. But we're not going to turn back the clock as much as there will be... Uh, Obviously, many... you can't turn back the clock, but right. just how to extrapolate from yeah, the... Right, I, I agree. So again, you know, if or include... Uh, the umbrella includes a tremendous amount. I mean, the truth is, even from the Gemara in the Dharm about Rabbi Akiva, who came to be Mavakar Chayla, one of his students, um, and what did he do? He was Kibet Veribet Slavonov. He basically took a broom and he started cleaning. Who knows? Right, he brought, what, brought back to life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. So, so you see, again, I could, I didn't even have to bring the Gemara of today's Davyaymi. Could have gone back to that famous piece and and where the Talmud came out and said, Rebbe, you saved my life. And Rabbi Kiva went out and gave Achros and said, Kol Mishenu Vakar Domim. So... Uh, this is, uh, you're right, things are different, but they, what illness and death, unfortunately, have stayed the same. Let, let's move this to our question. I mean, it's not relevant. Well, maybe it is relevant to us somewhat, but not as much as it used to be. Let's say if we were Rabbeim in, in the yeshiva and we were giving shiurim and it turned out that we were very unhappy with uh, the wages and that the Rosh Hashivas, had, the things they had promised us, they did not uh, the the commitments were not acted on, and uh, we were not paid, uh, and and we weren't paid for weeks and weeks and weeks, which I think happens in this. And then we said, look, we know that you have four hundred, five hundred Talmudim here. You expect us to come here. We're not a little bit pretentious, but I do believe, as you said, Rav Meisha felt that the same halacha applies. That if if there are students coming and they're expecting their rebbe to show up, the rebbe can't just say, look, I haven't been paid. I'm not coming today. Uh, they are expecting you to be teaching. I, I heard a shocking statistic today in shul. Uh, as you know, I was in my shul in Anchi Palisades this week. Yeah, not just uh, not just the shul you daven in. It's the shul that you are the uh, the admor of, right? Oh, yeah. So this is not a oh, 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 what's that? The mother the astra. I'm sorry. The the astra is the astra of, of the shul, right? Right. Of the whole of the whole ten blocks of Pamela. Oh, one block. What are you talking oh, about? Oh, the one block, the Asra. Palisades Court. Oh, Asra, uh, the Asra is that that street. Yeah, You're the, the Mora of that street. Mora of the street. I yes. hope they're Macabo Moras from you on that. So the, uh, they're very nice. So anyway, so there was a guest there from <laughs> there was a guest in the shul. It was very uh, was holding forth at Kiddush, very good And he said he, he would uh, that the I don't know. I guess the chairman of J.P. Morgan is a from Jew or something like that. He said. You can't be a from Jew in the metropolitan New York area and survive if you're making less than two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. If you have children that are sending to school, yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, he's right. He's right. Which is a you know, I mean, we know it, but it's shocking still to hear it. And you know, it's 
the money which goes to schools today is incredible and it's not sustainable. And I don't know what the aid is. Yes, uh, I, the administrators get paid too much. The rabbi get paid too little, too little. But I, uh, but what is the aid side? How is this supposed to work? So, I mean, it's not just trying to get to public school where you know. So, so wait, would you agree taxes. with Rav, Would you? I'm saying, would you feel that Rav Moshe's hero would be accepted? That Rabbeim would have to come in no matter what. Again, it's seems... there are aids. You know, in a case like that, so the rabbi could teach in a local shul, or they can teach in, uh, you know, at home. I don't think you can be involved. Uh, see, it's interesting because that was similar to Rav Goren's psak in the '83 case. In the '83 case, he said that if the he they tell the patients to meet them at their clinics, even though they're going to charge money, and the person didn't think he was going to have to pay, and now he's going to have to pay out of pocket, that wouldn't be an avera on the doctor's point. So I guess if if we were in a situation where we were the rabbeim and we weren't getting paid, we would call each one of the Talmidim and outside the school say, look, I'm ready to teach you, but I'm not going into the building because I'm protesting that I haven't gotten paid. But I will teach your child if you meet me in the shore at my house. That's interesting. So that would be a way to sidestep the sort of pikuach nefesh of Talmud Torah there. Um do you think that's practical, though? It's one thing in the case in Eretz Yisrael. People knew, okay, we're not going to the hospital, we're going to the clinic. Do you think that the, the school, I mean, would probably, I mean, you think the school would allow such a thing? I mean, I guess... Uh, well, schools, it's against the school's interest to allow it because they're obviously striking against the school. But it's a question whether Rabbi Meir, you'd say they're healed to the Torah if they do that. I have to tell you, on this uh, topic... By the way, during COVID, this happened a lot. I mean, people, it was not legal. They happen to have. Can I tell you a fascinating thing about COVID before I forget? Totally irrelevant to our discussion. You, you always it, yeah. insert things that are relevant. Actually, I'll decide later whether we're going to edit it out or not, but go ahead. I, uh, the last week of my show, but I wasn't there, was not to so say for Torah. And the Bama, the, your, the, your, your Hashkoch was there, though. The, your Ruach of, of, of Morus was there, even though you right, physically sure. weren't there. So, the, whatever you say. So, the, um, so, the, um, so they're discussing this morning. And it seems that the, the Baal Simcha gave the Kiddush this morning in honor of his earlier this week. And it seems that the price of Sivitor has skyrocketed in the last three years. Mm-hmm. It used to be $50,000 for a new Sivitor, which is a good one. Maybe even with $35,000, you got a Matsya. Now it's $100,000. And it's like the, the economics, they explain the economics. It's fascinating that um, because, because of COVID, many people died. And many people are writing Sifat Torah in their memory. And there are only about 300 Sifat in the entire world mm. who write Sifat Torah. Wow. And therefore, the supply and demand is all skewed. And that's why prices have gone through the roof. Wow. The waiting period has gone through the roof and prices have gone through the roof. Yeah. And, even, yeah. and maybe... A, interesting. On a, small, a, yeah, go ahead. a small scale, Mezuzah is a both kind of price the same way. Used to be get a kosher mezuzah of forty fifty dollars, but now it costs like hundred dollars to get a decent mezuzah. Yeah, but which will hurt that far as I know tefillin the has also doubled the prices for kosher tefillin because uh, people have approached me about getting a pair based basically on some shiurim that we were giving on Rabbeinu Tam tefillin. Uh, one of my balabatim came and he discovered that the the price was four times what he had expected four times. It to be. So it makes sense because again, the amount of sofrim writing tefillin are probably not that much greater. You know, most sofrim, as, uh, uh, as I only found out in Chicago, 
Most suffering are really, who call suffering really just fake. The limited number of suffering in the world will actually write. So therefore, the, the stance of reason, if the safer Torah market has been, which is the most, I assume the most lucrative, or maybe I'm wrong, but uh, has been, uh, you know, extraordinarily tight. So everything else must be tight by expansion. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. additional aspect by Mezuzah, and, 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 which you don't find as much by obviously a fraud, but um, and to take care of fraud, and they're, they're trying now to find ways to prevent fraud because there's a tremendous incentive now to do fraud because you know now they're very good sophisticated printers. They can even do raised uh, uh, lettering, which looks like it's a leg- like it's really handwritten. Mm-hmm. So this is um, that adds to sounds, the cost. Sound, yeah, and I guess if we could probably throw in Ravabadi's psak on this too, and <laughs> in terms of the silk screen, in terms well, of that should bring the price down, but I don't think it actually has brought the price down. Not the rabbit. It seems like the price has just gone through the roof. Right. Well, if I don't know if people want to be mistamik on Ravabadi, yeah. despite the fact that he is. Well, you have a, to tell people Ravabadi's psak is not everybody knows. Yeah. Well, you've you've held for this. Ravabadi feels that it's considered um, proper ksiva, even if you put what's basically a mat on top of the cloth, um, a, a silkscreen mat, and. It already has pretty much smear ink on the back of the silk screen. The ink itself is, is thick enough; it doesn't penetrate unless you apply pressure. So they do is they take a, 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 a rod, like a thick rod, and they pull the rod down over the lettering, and then the ink goes through the lettering onto the cloth. So you can do a whole row in a moment. But which 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 for Vabadi felt, even though it's not the standard way of writing, it's enough of an action. And of what the person is doing, and therefore those sifri teira, our friend Rav Chaim Torsky, I think also in uh, the Skoki Yeshiva's uh, journal for uh, interesting halachic topics, I think also dealt with this silk screen issue. And you say you think that he, yeah, I don't think not the Maisa, but he went. The, the people who wrote against it uh, were not writing some zach. So yeah, uh, yeah. I think the yeah. yeah. we speak about Skoki Yeshiva and strikes. Um, I'm I, I guess what. I need to bring up is the fact that Rav Aaron Zuchanovrocha, who you were Zochat to Mishamish, and I was Zochat to to hear a number of wonderful Divritayer from and to and to spend time with him, although I wasn't technically in the Yeshiva with him together. Um Rav Aaron, of course, uh, went through a situation where they struck in Skoki Yeshiva. Uh where in there was such a uh, a, a who struck the, the who struck. The students, they they had a the students. Right. So who was striking who then? It was this there was a. It, it turned out that the there was this the boys, the yeshiva struck, right? That's what it was. They went the yeshiva protested. What was going yeshiva on? Yeshiva blocked them out. So I don't know if that's considered to be a strike because they locked them out. The yeshiva didn't want Ravaran anymore, the right. the board. And yeah. what happened was there was a uh, yeshiva. The yeshiva dealt with Ravarin in a very. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to talk about this on their hundredth anniversary celebration, um, but the yeshiva dealt with Ravarin in a way that I think they regretted, um, and they didn't want Ravarin to be the Rosh Yeshiva anymore, I believe. And Ravarin um, didn't go quietly into the night like others. Uh, and it turned out, as you say, they took aggressive action against Ravarin. Aggressive to the point of not locking his door and not letting him back in. And I think what happened after that was 
Rabiesa. What happened after that was that there was a a, a, a groundswell of support for Avarin, where the students said, "We're not coming into class. That we're not going to come into the yeshiva. We're not going to go into shiurim uh, because of this." And actually, I remember the uh, after that there was news foot. Actually, I wasn't in the yeshiva then, but they actually, you know, the local news came. It was like considered a big story that, because this was during the period of campus protests, this was a campus protest at a small rabbinical college in Skokie. Um, but you're right, there it was the strike. <laughs> it was a different type of strike. It was the strike of 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 the Bokram. I think by in Toronto, I think in Toronto it was the Rabbeim who refused to, uh, a number of Rabbeim refused to come out of murky in the in the fog of history, but there has been, <laughs> there has been that famous strike that was perpetrated by the Ner Yisrael Toronto Rabbeim, who didn't want to work anymore under Rav Weinberg. And uh, that ultimately led to uh, Rav Weinberg leaving Ner Yisrael, which is a topic we talked about a couple of weeks ago with your brother. So this striking stuff is always ugly. <laughs> I'm saying whenever it occurs, it's always bad news. Um, in, in the Torah world, it never, nobody ever comes out a winner. You know, Rav Aaron, of course, I don't think ever uh, recovered completely. Neither uh, institutions recovered, not, not Skokie, not Brisk. We know that. I mean, neither thrived as a result. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Look, we're sitting back here, you know, um, what was, what, who could have been the Rosh Hashiva? What could have happened? What should, what should they have done? Um, I'll tell you one thing, you know, the, uh, you know, Ravarin, I, I don't think other than his children, I don't know if Ravarin has, has received proper harocha about what he was about and what he was trying to do. Um, part of it is because he failed in Skokie. Um, but in general, what was his halachic approach? His brother has gotten so much pub, so many, uh, what do they say? Kola Kulmason, you know, have been what Rav Yosheber was about. And, and of course, Rav Aaron was not as influential or as perhaps important in the Torah world as his brother. But I think Rav Aaron, you know, Rav Aaron had a shita. Rav Aaron had a shita of what he wanted. It was interesting that originally they thought it was a match to whatever the Torah umada type of shita that was prevalent in Skokie. Um, he was not a, a brisker in that way. Um, he, he understood American kids need certain heterim, certain kulas, but he had humorous that were beautiful in a way. The, when you had these kids that were American boys, you know, being machmaran yoshan, being machmaran various things in, in Shemira Shabbos, based on Havana and the Sugis, it was very, it was very quite interesting. Um, you know, we're used to, you know, go, like it, it, it's sort of similar to the Chaitniks, no? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. What? Well, But I'm saying, you know, you, you, you Skokie had, no, nobody would, would, would confuse the Skokie of the 60s and early 70s as, as, as a yeshivish, a charedish place. But Rav Aaron was able to put his, was able to generate a certain ashbov, a certain mahalach, of of humra and halacha and and fealty to learning that I think was 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 very important. In many ways, you know, his his brother was known 
as being a very wishy-washy Paisik. As you know, his brother would 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 bend differently depending on who was asking him the Shaila. I don't think that was Ravarin. I think Ravarin was, you know, almost to a fault that way, that he wouldn't bend about what he held was correct. Um and, and you know, he lived and suffered because of it. That when I was came to Chicago in 1986, um I, I remember thinking to myself that at least there's a godel here in this city. At least there's a godel here. Um, and although I was not in his yeshiva, I felt that there was, uh, again, in my mystical way of looking at things, that this was a city that had a hagona because there was somebody that that that, that could truly stride as one of the gedolei hador. Um, again, and this takes nothing away from Rab first, who who was an, a very accomplished dayan very well connected to Rabbi Feinstein and, and, and a very important Paisik. Takes nothing against away from my Rebbe, uh, Rekadali Dov Schwartz, uh, who came to Chicago a little bit after I did. But there was something about the grandeur of Ravarin. Um, there was something, not only just because of about Europe and because of what he was able to give over, there was also something about um, his, his brilliance, his, his sincerity, uh, his depth, his conviction, his suffering um, that was really, you know, there was nothing, there was nobody that was even close as far as I was concerned. And um, it's, it's, as you say, um, it was definitely a tragedy. Uh, and the strike, if we're talking about strikes, you know, this was, this was a, a symbol of, of how bad things had. And again, uh, there might be many of our listeners who are connected to Skokishiv and others set us straight. Let us know if perhaps the story we're telling is a is a skewed version of of events. Um, this wasn't where we were were planning on going here, but uh, I think it's worthy of mentioning that it's it's always kedai to see us show. Well, speaking 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 about the um, take take uh, I guess of Rabar, I think that the first thing which drove a wedge between him and the um, board of the yeshiva was uh, the sale of the Mizrahi building in Albany Park to a Korean church. And uh, the, the Mizrahi, which is then, of course, the most powerful organization in Chicago, um, which now is, even if it's shell of its former self, they'll probably be saying too much, but um, was the uh, most powerful film organization in Chicago. They had a building in Albany Park. They wanted to sell it. And the way the story goes... They went to Rabarin and said, we want to sell our building to some an organization like the Boy Scouts. We sell to an organization like the Boy Scouts. And then it was sort of the Jeshul. Rabarin said, the Boy Scouts, sure. Turned out to be a Korean church. So uh, Rabarin came out and he said, the sale is null and void. And they have to buy it back or whatever. And this became the first falling out between the Balabatim and Rabarin. And I think that um, his uh, his... The, the another thing they say about the what, what helped in the breach is that Reb Aaron was much more amenable to, uh, so to speak, uh, hippies in yeshiva. <laughs> he didn't have, he didn't feel that he had to impose a strict uh, regimen of short hair at the time, which right. was. Although I should, I should, I should mention that Reb Aaron was one of the first rabbonim to write about the drug issue. Because there is an article that he wrote in tradition about drugs, he had no tolerance for drugs, but he allowed. And that's what I meant before. 
you you saw these guys with long hair and sideburns and stuff like that, you know, and who didn't dress anywhere close to yeshiva light, but were still Rav Aaron felt he could be madrach them up and this was something that you felt that um, that was another the optics were terrible. In other words, yes, we can also talk about you know how what is the best way for a school to be formulated should there be a board should there be the salary set should there be individual deals with individual rebellion should there be one guy who's making the deal should there be teachers that are unionized and there's contracts that are very official i mean these are questions which i guess you know we could probably uh explore at other times but i think they're all connected here because schools that um that i think have uh, i guess expanded and develop this sort of board mentality, um, open themselves up to strikes much more often than, let's say, where there's a one person who's sort of running the show and the board is merely, boards are merely rubber stampers. And there's basically, the yeshivas are really run by the power and the charisma of one person who is able to, behind the scenes, deal with a disgruntled Rebbe and take care of it before it erupts so what I'm trying to say is the more of a sort of expansive structure you have that's supposed to be guiding the job, the more you have the possibility of it breaking because there's going to be inequities and there's going to be one person who gets something the other person doesn't. And and therefore, hey, right? And therefore, the idea of striking becomes relevant. You want to have a modern, fair system. On the other hand, I guess what you want to have is something that obviates the possibility of the, any type of break in Lima Teira and any sort of zilzal in Rabbonim or Talmidei Chachamim. So we aren't going on strike uh, anywhere soon. <laughs> that was another strike that was occurring in Eretz Yisrael. The judges, I think the judges walked out uh, the other day, because of that strike, they felt that what they were was happening in Knesset is so terrible that they are going to step out of their offices and, in a way, show that they are against this. The strike, the strikes, the strikes, the strikes in general, very modern concept, right? And I think that's probably it was okay, Rabbi Yosef. We did, a, I think, we did three different strikes here, and I think it's time to say three oh, strikes. Oh, so one of them landed. <laughs> three, three, three strikes, and I think we're out. Catch we're you out. next week, everybody. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 